Look at the time. <laughs> it's quarter to 11. Mm. Thank you, Amelia. Yeah. Um, so with, uh, with about 20 minutes remaining, uh, I'll need to cut my message down to about 40 minutes, so we'll be fine. <laughs> That'll leave us with an extra five minutes. <laughs> All right. Let me, let me put a little hot mustard on this message and just crank it out as quick as I can. Maybe I'll even cut it in half, come back next week. All right. Yes, what's happening, I should pause, what's happening in uh, Cambodia with our kids, phenomenal. Uh, makes me very emotional to think about them. And what's happening in Kenya, I wish that you could be even more in touch with, and I hope that we can keep you into that space. Um, you are a significant part of that development over there. We support, you support four regional directors uh, of whom are each over about a dozen churches, uh, and you provide most of their sustenance so they do not have to work so that they can raise new pastors and help oversee all of those pastors. Um, each one of those regions is like a, what would be a medium-sized church here, about 500 people in total among a dozen or so churches. Um, and you are a significant part of that uh, success. So thank you for your gifts and your giving and your prayers and all of that there. Um, it, it means a lot to me. Um, <clears throat> so Pastor Adam uh, came across this book that we're studying, The, Reluth the, the Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, uh, a few months ago. And I, I might have seen it coming, and I should have seen it coming because God gave me a head start, a head start on eliminating hurry from my life last summer. The short story is a subway car knocked my glasses off and I couldn't see for uh, uh, about two or three hours. The longer story is I jumped off of a local subway car in New York City to get onto an expressway car with my wife in tow uh, and the spur of the moment to try to make up some time. And when I got into the other car, I didn't see my wife. So when I turned around to make sure she was behind me, I discovered that she wasn't behind me. So I stuck my arm out and the door shut on my arm and everybody in the car is like, what is this maniac doing? And I turned again to see if I had missed my wife and I didn't. And so I said, she must be behind me and she wasn't. And so I stuck my arm out and stopped the door again. I did this two or three times. And the final time, I was exasperated. I stuck my head out the door. The door shut, hit my head. My glasses fell off, went through a one and a half inch gap between the platform and the subway car into the New York City abyss, never to be seen again. And then the door shut and I left without my wife. I was in a big hurry. In the subway, you can't make a phone call but you can text a little bit, but I couldn't see because I didn't have my glasses. So I'm trying to text with my wife. I am utterly embarrassed because now I'm processing what all of these people just saw. <laughs> so I'm standing with my face at the door, just not even turning around, I'm just texting. I do get in touch with her. I come to discover <clears throat> that she wasn't even able to get off of her train. I just jumped and the door shut and they left. So that whole train is feeling very bad for me right? Oh, I don't know what happened to your husband, lady, but he left you in a hurry. <laughs> we made arrangements. I was now on the express train, so I got to five stops away five minutes before she did, so I was waiting for her there. When she pulled up, I got on. The train cheered for me. We were back together, and all was well. I was utterly embarrassed. It was 
a horrifying moment for me. I seem like such a fool. And the learning point for me as we were processing this, I was like, Tammy, we weren't even in a hurry. We didn't need to be anywhere. What was I doing? And I vowed in that moment that I am no longer going to hurry when I don't have to. And I'm telling you, it is a daily exercise for me. On a daily basis, I find myself going, Mike, you don't need to be in a hurry right now. So I should have seen this coming. God, God is working on me. He's working on us. I think he's working on the world in many ways with regard to the mad pace at which we send, tend to send ourselves. So here we are together looking at this book that is really hitting the mark. It's hitting us between the eyes. It's wonderful. Thank you for being a part of it. Um, maybe you're not even a part of this church and you're, you're uh, with us online. Uh, hopefully you're able to go through the study too. You're very welcome. We're digging in. Picking up where Adam left off last week, he did a wonderful job uh, launching us into it. And I'm covering probably what you would consider like the second 60 pages of the book if you're following along. So let me breathe. I feel like I'm hurrying. I don't need to hurry right now. I can finish this next week if I need to. <laughs> Literally, I can feel like I'm hurrying. That story makes me hurry, actually. Okay. Last week, Adam started basically with the confession. <laughs> he stood up and said, I, I need to confess. And I thought, well, I should start in the same place. So I put a list together of other things I think Adam needs to confess. <clears throat> Kidding. I, what I should confess is that I, um, I, hurry, I hurry too much. I also should confess that... Um, uh, I, I am a, I'm a critic uh, at, at heart. I, I, I'm not critical. I, I tend to look at things that I'm responsible for, and I more quickly see what's wrong and what's broken. And I dig into fixing those things uh, more, more uh, quickly than I see what is going good and, and celebrate. And I, and I should confess that I don't celebrate what God's doing enough. And I should confess that I am often dissatisfied with life when I have nearly no reason to be. I have an inexplicable abundance of blessing and wonderful people and family and opportunities and purpose in my life. I should never be dissatisfied, but I find myself often somewhat dissatisfied. And I should confess these unexpected moments of, I don't know, Ugh. What surprises me more, though, is to discover the numbers of people who share that same kind of recurring dissatisfaction. Apparently, dissatisfaction is an, an equal opportunity feeling. It's not just me. And, it, and, and Christians aren't exempt, which is even more surprising since we claim to have found our way back to God and the fully satisfying life that comes with God. Why would we ever be dissatisfied? And when I think of that, it makes me even more dissatisfied, right? Because I think, what's wrong with me? I don't know if you've ever felt those feelings. I uh, felt guilty about not having the joy of the Lord like you imagine you should or feel sad about your inability to live the way God's called you or to change what needs to be changed. I just want to say you're not alone. If you're honest about life, at times it just feels like something's wrong. 
either with you or with it. And if it's wrong with it, it's impacting you. It's just, you're not alone. What we want to look at today and start to pick away at is some cautions that the, the brother of Jesus, James, outlines in his letter in the New Testament. Because whatever the case for your level or depth of discouragement or view of the world and your own heart being wrong, misdiagnosing the reasons for what's wrong leads to solutions that often exacerbate the trouble. When we misdiagnose what's wrong, we tend to build solutions that don't help what's wrong and sometimes exacerbate it. Listen to what James says as he's addressing the earliest of Christian churches. In chapter four, he says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Which is how that should be read because he's answering the question that he's, that's been posed to him, why are we fighting and quarreling with each other? You, you might in, in, in infer, why aren't we living the way we thought we were going to live when we decided to follow this rabbi Jesus? And he says, why, why, what causes fights and quarrels among you? He answers the question with a question. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire and you don't have, so you kill. He's he's sort of referencing the the, the Ten Commandments. You you, you covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your desires. And he gets rather intense here. He says, you adulterous people. Wow. We just thought we would ask James some questions about what's going on, and maybe he would offer some encouragement back, and it seems like he's going down the right path. And then he calls us adulterous people. Yeah, he, he's saying, look, you've given your life to God. You've committed to be faithful to him, to trust him alone. In a sense, you have offered your hand of marriage to God, to be the one that you follow, the one to whom your heart desires most, but you're cheating. You're cheating. You're going elsewhere to find your fulfillment. You're adulterous. Don't you know that friendship with the world, James says, means enmity with God? You can't turn to the world for things and and still say that you're faithful to God. No, when you turn to the world for what you need, when the desires of your heart drive you to the wrong solutions, you become opposition to God. Flirting with the shiny, enticing, worldly offerings of purpose and fulfillment puts you at odds with God. Jesus said, you can't serve two masters. You might think you can, but you can't. You might be dividing your time very well. You might be an amazing time manager. You might be keeping multiple constituencies happy in your life. But in your heart, Jesus says, you are truly only committed 
to one. When it comes right down to it, you're gonna let certain things go and you will let everything go except your primary love. And Jesus says, that's what I'm looking at right there. Jesus says, you can only be committed to one and God deserves to be your number one priority. It's the very first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. I am number one. I must be the dominant desire, the overarching pursuit of your life. I can't be one of them. I must be the one, the priority among them. And God will not be mocked. He will not be mocked. He knows if your heart is his. And when it's not, life does not go well. It goes wrong. It's dissatisfying. It's dehumanizing. And we feel that. We feel that, but we misdiagnose the problem. And James is saying, you know what the problem is to life? Usually, God is not at the center of it. You're cheating. You said you were going to trust him, but you're not. Sometimes I, am, I imagine the end of my life and my arrival at heaven. Trust me, this isn't theologically sound at all. <clears throat> Don't, I, I'm illustrating something. But sometimes I imagine that it will be up to me to choose the appropriate door to spend eternity with the one who loves me the most. And I imagine that I will choose the door that I have chosen throughout my life as the priority. That I, that I will choose what I have always thought and has always operated as the thing that loves or the one that loves me most. That it's, that it's upon me to be able to recognize the right door based on how I have set my desires in the life of It's a scary thought. It's a scary thought to imagine that it will be upon me to choose the right door behind which the one who loves me most will be. Because I know that I've been adulterous to God and, and continue to be. So, so do you. We cheat. We think we can serve many gods but make the right choice when it matters. Jesus makes it even a little bit more scary. He says, look, if you are not fully, without fail, faithful to God, you're opposed to him. You're an enemy to him. There is no, there is no theology, there is no description of God that ever says he's good with multiple priorities in your life as long as he's one of them in the pie chart. That does not work for him. In essence, we will have met the biblical grounds to be divorced by God. We have been adulterous. He has every right to walk away. James says, do you think scripture says, without reason, 
that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us. The scriptures tell us time and again, God will not settle with you or me choosing to share our heart. Nobody would. There is no marriage relationship that is normal where one of the spouses says, yeah, it's okay. You can be with others. James says, you're quibbling and fighting, even destroying one another, but your problem lies within, not without. The problem is you aren't looking to the God for the answers of your life, but to an alternative God of this world. And those alternatives cause you to be in opposition to God. When and if you are dissatisfied, discouraged, aimless, hopeless, rest assured you have gravitated away from the only one that can and does provide you the right rhythm, purposes, and relationships of life. Here's James' upshot in 4.13. Now listen, who you say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. God isn't saying, check out of life, isolate yourself, and check into a monastery. It can sound like that, but it isn't. He's just saying to continuously check with him, to watch Jesus, to listen to the Spirit, to ensure you're not doing anything from a wrong motive or a false hope or in response to a seductive voice. God has built humanity with great potential, and, and we can feel that. And we don't want to come up short of that. It seems as though it would be our responsibility to live to our fullest potential. We don't want to waste our lives. Most people don't. But we forget that along with that potential, we have limitations. We're just human. Remember the garden? God said, y'all can play here. You cannot play there. This is mine. This is, this is God's stuff over here. This is human stuff. You don't come over here. You're different than me. You are not me. In fact, I, I made you from the dirt, in fact. And you're going back to dirt, okay? You're, you're just human. You can't do everything and be everything and understand everything. You're just human. You can flourish within that space, but you're not God. You're human. I made you from the dust, and to the dust you will return. Quickly, in fact, did you catch that? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. I'm paraphrasing. I threw that in. That's how you're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. That phrase kills me. I'm 57 years old. I'm, I'm a stone's throw away from 60. The mist of my life thinning. I want to maximize whatever's left, but is that right? Is that the goal? Maximize my life before it vaporizes? The Old Testament clearly implies 
maximizing your life by world standards is not commensurate with Christianity. Jesus says we should minimize our life. We should lose. But I quite naturally think God's made me for a purpose, and this is good, and so I should, I should maximize. So I have to be very careful, right? Very careful. Are we in it for the right reasons? Are we doing it for the right reasons? Is, it, is this coming out of the, the desires of my, my, my selfishness or out of the desires of the Spirit? As you can imagine, through the process of acquiring the Franz Road property, those who love me are concerned about the personal weight and intensity of that process. They don't ask this question, but I wouldn't blame them if they did. Are you, are you okay? Are you too personally committed to Vista's success with that building? That's a good question. I should think about that. Paul suggests that question. In chapter 5 to the, the church in Ephesus, be very careful then how you live not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. Yes, because the days are evil. What does he mean? At any moment, the things of life can sweep you up and carry you away from God. I do want you to live to your fullest potential, but you gotta be careful. You gotta be wise. You gotta understand yourself. Are the pursuits and the resources uh, you know, your time and your gifting and your, and your, and your talent and your, and your tithe, uh, uh, are they aligned and invested with the promises of God or with the promises of the world? When I was in my mid-20s, I met with a guy that was about five years older than me. I was pastoring, helping pastor the church that he was a part of, and he was part of one of the big three accounting firms, so his hair was on fire, and he was on roller skates most of his life, flying around the country, consulting. And he said, my, my life is out of, is a little chaotic, and I just need to meet with you and see if you can help me in some way. So we went to lunch, went to a sub shop somewhere, and, and I said, well, here's a circle. Draw a pie chart of your life. Just put the big things in there for me, work, family, God. And he chunked out three quarters of it for work, you had a little sliver for sleep, a little sliver for family, a little sliver for God. And I was like, do I need to, do any, we need any, do you see? And he's like, yeah, I get it. He get it. He was, but I can't do anything about that right now. I was like, okay. So then he drove me back to the office and ran a red light while we went. I kid you not, this guy was on the move and he couldn't do anything about it. Unwise, foolish, understood to some degree something was wrong, saw it on, in black and white, couldn't do anything about it. Where are you? Is the rhythm of your life defined by the commands of God or the demands of the world? Is the rhythm of your life defined by your desire for God or from the desires of the selfish part of your heart? Do the rhythms of your life suggest there are purposes beyond what are seen and matter more than what can be measured? Do the pursuits of your life have purpose that abstract uh, that subtract from this life in order to add to the next. Do the schedules, this is when it gets a little raw, right? Do the schedules of your family and particularly your children exist to garner accolades, wins, and success or to garner the praise and the wisdom and the peace of God? These are hard questions. 
Is it more important for you that your children secure a place in this world or to secure the peace of God in their hearts? Paul says, be very careful then how you live. Ask hard questions about what you love, about what your life rhythms are reinforcing in you and in those that you love. We're reading through this book by John Mark Comer. I mentioned it earlier. He poses a lot of similar questions. John's made an example of himself as a popular, even prosperous Christian who was in fact far from God and the life patterns of God. He looked in the mirror and said, no. And started a journey of wisdom to discover what was going on. And the book's hitting between the eyes for many of us. It's challenging, but it's an easy read. Jump in if you're not a part of it. It's never too late for that. I think I can wrap this up in about four minutes. At least what I'm going to do today. You're not in a hurry, Mike. You're not in a hurry, Mike. You're not in a hurry, Mike. I'm telling you, it is a lifelong thing. Just before Paul's admonished to be very careful how we live, he says this, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. He begins with a quote, that section, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Most of the time when you see a quote in the, Bible, in the New Testament, it's from the Old Testament. This one doesn't seem to be. You can't really find that anywhere. It speaks directly of Christ shining on you. But he says, this is a saying that we hear quite often. So apparently, this is something that's caught on in the church. I wouldn't be surprised if it was in a song that they were spreading around and they were all singing, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. It's the same question. Are you understanding and arranging your life according to God and his ways? You know what the best indication that you're not is? You know how you can tell if your life is aligned with God? Your life. <laughs> your life will tell you. Your life will tell you. Jesus' point of view, I'm paraphrasing a verse you'll probably recognize. Jesus' point of view is easy and his way is light. Is your life? James invites us into the same space. Listen to how James starts to wrap up this letter to this, this church. He says, but he gives us grace. That's what the scripture says. God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil. Resist what? The attempts of this world to steal your heart and lead you away from the peace of God. Resist that and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Who is that? It's me. It's you. Grieve, mourn, wail. Change your, listen, change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. What's that about? Well, we start with humility. It's the only place to start have the humility to change, to let go of what the world says to laugh about and how to find joy. We have to let go of the very things we think are the things that, are, that, that make us laugh and bring us joy. He's saying, you're going to have to let go of those things. And that's not easy to do. We don't end up on the wrong path because the wrong path isn't rewarding. 
that it isn't satisfying on some level. To follow God and to enjoy a depth of joy and laughter and goodness that we are intended to enjoy means letting go of the superficial things that provide a superficial joy and laughter and goodness. It's okay to enjoy God's creation and the creatures and the friends and the family that we have and the opportunities and the pursuits, but not as the primary object of our desire and our affection, not as the source for our contentment, our safety and our provision. We've got to be wise. We've got to be humble. It's difficult, difficult to recognize the idols that have inspired our somewhat dehumanizing habits of life. And on many levels, we are under-equipped to actually develop the habits of human flourishing, but it's possible. We can at least arise and wake up and assume that we're out of sync to have the ability, the humility to say, yes, I probably need some help and I've got some work to do. Am I putting too much of my own value in securing and finishing the Franz Road project? Maybe. I think my priorities are right. I think I want this for you, for the kingdom, for Jesus' sake. That's, that's my heart. I don't make any decisions on my own. We've hesitated more than once to reflect and pray before we pressed on. But could it be providing me a sense of value that I'm getting from the wrong place? A, 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 a sense of legacy? It's a good question. A humble answer is maybe. I should look. I should arise. I should wake up and let the light of Christ shine upon me. Am I using my time wisely? Are you in alignment with God's purposes? Some of it, sure. But I'm surely cheating. Do I know where? I cannot be content serving both God and the pursuits of the world. I must look deeper without delay and repent where necessary. All of the people of God must Anyone who calls himself a Christian must humble themselves and search of the rhythms and the purposes of our lives that are out of phase with God and build new rhythms, purposes, and practices in alignment with him. And we start with humility. We follow King David's example. Search me, God. Bow your head with me for just a moment, if you will. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Please, God. Amen. I found an article by a guy named Joe Carter who lists uh, eight ways, eight things that you can think through to discover the idols and the desires that are out of sync with God in your life. I made a copy of this and put it on the, the, the uh, Ruthless Elimination, you know, all church study table. You can pick it up if you want. I'm going to tell you the headings. He says, examine your imagination. What do you daydream about? And then he's got a bunch of other things to think about. Examine your attention. Consider the times you would rather be doing something else other than practicing a spiritual discipline. That's a clue. That's a key. And he talks about a whole bunch of other stuff. Examine your finances. Examine your prayer life. Examine your, right? Examine your prayer life. 
What do you pray about the most? What are you anxious about? What, what are you upset with God that he hasn't responded about? These kind of spaces help us see where we have put our hopes and our desires. Examine your relationships. Who do you love the most? Are they helping you toward God or away from God? Examine your emotions. What are your fears? What are you hoping for? Examine your concerns. What do you worry about? Your past and your future. If you could change your past or orchestrate your future, what would you do? That's a good sign of what is a priority in your life. This is really good. Check them out. Let me try to bring this to a close here. <clears throat> Paul adds some commentary in his section of text that we looked at here. Uh, where he encourages a spirit-led life of mutual encouragement and gratitude in the goodness of God. This is part of the process, to always do this work in, the, in community and knowing that God is always up to good. As much as we flail along, God is working to have that attitude. And James says to do it with patience and prayer to remember that it takes time and that it's not easy and it, it, it can cause us to suffer to find our way uh, into God's will and to be prayerful, obviously, to be connected with him through it in the truths that he gives us in the word and the people of God, right? So together, Paul and James basically are teaching us the life of Jesus, the rhythm of a flourishing human life in community and in truth with humility and patience and prayer. And he calls us to the same single-eyed life. So let's get after it. Let's get after it. Got one more thing to tell you. You're gonna fail. Sorry. <clears throat> get after it, but you're gonna fail. You can grow and make progress and you should aim for it. You should try to get in more alignment with God and you can but you won't find your way to an undivided heart in this lifetime. I'm sorry to tell you. James Calvin, uh, John Calvin famously said, <laughs> we might have had a brother James, but John Calvin famously said, man's nature, so to speak, is a perpetual factory of idols. We are arguably, unavoidably unfaithful to God. You remember my imagination? The one where I'm left to myself to pick the door of eternity, informed by my life, <clears throat> Scary thought, right? Here's the good news. I've left the opening of that door to someone else. And so have many of you. The writer of Hebrews says, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. <clears throat> Let's stand together. I finished this up. Take a drink of Gatorade. I'm in the last throes of a cold. I apologize. We are very fortunate to have more than an example and a teacher to follow in Jesus, but most importantly, a forgiver and a finisher of our faith who goes before those who trust him, ushering them into eternity with God, the only one who truly and completely faithfully loves us. Let me encourage you, church, be humbly working together to discover the idols that are driving you, patiently and prayerfully letting God be the driver of your life, following Jesus' rhythm of a flourishing life, and all the while receiving Jesus 
through whom we enjoy daily, hour by hour, minute by minute, the endless grace of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Pastor Justin, you want to send us out?